Uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for the joy of worship, the joy of praise, the joy of celebrating your work in our life. And Lord, as we come before you, and Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would just speak into our lives and to our hearts. And we ask that um, we would hear you, Lord. We thank you and give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, how many of you have ever come to a place in your life where you felt and believed that your life was ruined? Have you ever felt that before? Something happened, whether something happened to you or something you did, that you just felt your life was ruined. It's never going to be the same again. I remember you, you feel that way at an early age. I just thought of the story. I wasn't planning to share it, but I'll be vulnerable, right? I remember first grade. First grade is probably the first time I ever felt this. And back then, when you said you had to go to the bathroom, your school teacher would say you should have went to a nutrition. You have to hold it. Well, I mean, how are you supposed to know you're going to have to go to the bathroom really bad, right? Well, long story short, because it wasn't in there. We're in time constraints. The most embarrassing thing happened. Yes, in that classroom, I could not hold it anymore. And so, uh, you know, embarrassingly left a puddle there, and I forgot what happened afterwards. I kind of shut everything else out. But uh, I'm sure in that moment, I thought, my life is ruined. It'll never be the same. But of course, there's other situations much more serious than that where we feel like our life is ruined. Can it ever be the same again? I'm sure we've seen things that we wish we never would have saw and we can't take it back. Did things we wish we never would have did or never would have said and we can't take it back. And we said before how sometimes we feel like we think Lord, if we could only go back in time and fix things. But of course, we know we can't go back in time. And of course, we know things don't ever truly become the same as it was before. And all we, need, all we know is that life is going to continue to go forward. I bring that up because I imagine, we've been looking at Adam and Eve, right, in the garden, and I imagine that Adam and Eve had plenty of time to think about what could have been. Ever thought about that? How much time they would have thought, man, if we only did not do what we did, what life could have been. But I'm sure, yeah, as we know, all the wishing and all the reflecting and all the, uh, all the regrets doesn't change that fact. And they were banished from the garden together and they had to live out. They had to continue to live life going forward. And I'm sure they thought about what is life going to be like going forward? What's it going to be like? We're going to wrap up the first three chapters today, and we're actually going to go into chapter four. But I wanted to summarize, and I want us to remember the focus of our study that we started all the way back in, uh, was it like May, right? And our focus is threefold, right? We want to better understand God and his story. Understand God and what his story, what he wants to tell us. 
But we also want to better understand ourselves and our story, right? But thirdly, we want to understand God in our story. We want to understand how God is active, his place in our life, working in our life, right? So those three things, better understand God and his story, better, better understand ourselves and our story, but more importantly, better understand God in our story. Now, as we move on from the first three chapters of Genesis, I can think of many issues and many questions we wish God would have answered clearly in the first three chapters, right? We go into chapter four, and I don't know if you're like me, but there's a lot of questions we kind of wish God would have answered in the first three, whether it's like scientific questions, did God really create everything in three or six 24-hour period days? What happened to the dinosaurs? Are the dinosaurs still there? All these kind of questions. Why was the serpent there in the garden? All these questions, I'm sure we leave Genesis chapter 3 kind of thinking about. And I thought about this as well. And maybe the, my best answer to why we don't have all these clear answers to the questions is this. That's not the purpose of Genesis. That wasn't God's purpose of Genesis, to have all our questions answered. Because think about it, if God was to give all the answers to our questions, people probably would still question those answers, right? So whether God clearly stated it or not, people would still question and, question and doubt what he says. But I don't think that was the purpose of Genesis, to answer all our questions. And I believe... The start of Genesis serves two very particularly practical purposes. It's not the whole purpose of Genesis, but I think the start of Genesis serves two practical purposes. And one is to correct and redirect his people from a polytheistic culture to a monotheistic culture. Right? To correct and redirect the people's thinking. Because if you Consider that if Moses was the author of, from Genesis through Deuteronomy, which you know, I, I hold that that's the case, then it would make sense that God would need to kind of clear things up for the people, right? Because if you remember, the Hebrew people were in Egypt, and they were, they were, having, they were in a culture that was polytheistic, many different gods. And so God would need to redirect their thinking, to correct their thinking a bit. And so it makes sense that the beginning of Genesis starts talking about it was God who created, who arranged, right? It was God who was the creator. There was no sun gods or the moon gods or these animals who were demigods or all these things. It wasn't any of those things. The animals are created beings, but also he created man and woman, right? And of course, this is meaningful for us today as well, right? It wasn't just meaningful in the time of the people who first heard it, but even for us today, it's meaningful to know that God is the creator. He is the sole creator of things, and he created us as well. So I, I can see a very practical reason of why Genesis starts the way it does. But the second practical reason is that to remind his people of their roots. 
Remind them of how they came to be as a people. How they came to be as God's chosen people. That yes, God created man and woman specifically, right? To be created in his image and in his likeness. To be his representation over all creation. But that also they would remember why God created them as his chosen people. The Hebrew people. The Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt. To remind them why he chose them to deliver them out of Egypt. So while we'd like to, we would like Genesis to be the book of all answers for us, right? We still have a lot of questions. But I believe God started it out just as he intended. He started his story, his narrative, just as God intended it to be. So I mentioned we will learn a lot about God. And I hope that we're going to learn a lot about ourselves. And we're going to be challenged as well. Right? You, maybe at this point you've been challenged personally in your life. Perhaps you're going to be challenged theologically. Maybe you hear some things that you've been taught all your life. And maybe you'll hear some things that's going to challenge what you've believed all your life. Right? But the main point that I hope that we can understand about God is that God is active in our life. He wants to write his story in our story, in our life, right? So what we've learned a lot about God, and so in the first three chapters, particularly in chapter 1 to chapter 2, we saw that God boldly declares that he is the sole creator and designer of life and the universe. That God creates with purpose and intention. It's not random. It's not out of chaos. It's not out of chance. And that God is also master over creation. Right? In other beliefs, nature controls. But here God is saying, I am master over all creation. And that also God is provider. He is provider for his creation. So we saw then the first chapter and a little bit into chapter 2. And then when we get into chapter 2, chapter 3, the focus goes to man and woman. That God created man and woman in his image and in his likeness. And they were given identity, distinct identity from each other, man and woman, but also they were given purpose. And that's important for us to know, right? That you have an identity and a purpose that God has designed for you, right? But we've also learned that the enemy... The enemy wants to sabotage our understanding of what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God, right? And he wants to go on the attack to distort that understanding of what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. And we looked at four different ways, four different areas in life that he manipulates and attacks and distorts. And the first one was selfish pride. He wants to manipulate our selfish pride to make us feel that we can be like God. I'm talking about like being in the position of God to make the decision, to be the determiner, right? To do what we want, when we want, how we want. And he'll also distort our self-image at the same time. Make us look in the mirror and have an image of what we wish we can be or what we think we are when we're not. 
manipulate the area of sexuality as well to confuse and also use it to be an area of conflict of desires. And we see that throughout in all different walks of life, throughout cultures, and throughout human history. And the fourth area is the sanctity of life. He wants us to devalue life. So we lose the idea of the sanctity of life. So the man and woman, we saw in the garden, they were deceived. And all these four eras were affected in some way. We saw that they failed to obey God's one commandment. God gave them all this freedom to enjoy. He gave them purpose to enjoy. But he said, just one commandment I give you. Do not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day of it, you will surely die. And yet they gave in, right? They fell for the lure of desire and control. And they disobeyed God. So what will life be like going forward? If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis as we wrapped up chapter 3. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 to 24. Starting at verse 20. It says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand, and take also from the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden, to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim, and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. It's interesting, we see here in verse 20, 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. God's counseling with himself, right? And we see this only other time we see in chapter 1, verse 26, we see when God is creating He says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit together said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And he created man and woman. It's interesting how the story of man and woman in the garden began with God saying, let us make man in our image and our likeness. But the story of man and woman in the garden ends with God saying, now he's become like one of us, knowing the knowledge of good and evil. What does that even mean? The story of man and woman in the garden, they were lured to desire to be like God, but in a forbidden manner, right? Before they ate the fruit, they did not know evil. They did not know disobedience to God. But the moment they ate of the fruit, immediately they knew evil. They knew disobedience. They knew disobedience to God. They experienced the knowledge of good and evil. You may think, well, what's the dangers of knowing good and evil? 
Well, the dangers of knowing good and evil is willful disobedience, right? He says, God says, he has become like one of us, they, or they become like one of us. They know good and evil. Well, what's the difference between God knowing good and evil and man knowing good and evil, right? What's the difference? God cannot disobey himself, right? He can't disobey himself. He cannot do what is evil because he is holy. It's in his nature he is holy. He cannot conflict with himself. God does not desire to do what is evil. He is good, right? That is who he is. But for man, the dangers of man knowing good and evil, what's that danger? Is that desire to know good and evil, right? It's one thing to be disobedient, right? Your parents say, don't do something, and you do something, and you feel bad. But the dangers of doing something wrong, or the dangers of evil, is that when it becomes desirable, it becomes something that you want, even when you know it's dangerous. There's some things that are enough for you that you don't want to do, right? I was never tempted to smoke. I don't like the smell. I don't like the idea or the thought. I don't like the taste of alcohol. So there's some things that I just don't need to have, right? But what's the danger if you do it once, and then you do it twice, and you do it three times. It could be anything, right? The danger is that you start to want it, and you do it willfully. You know it's wrong. And it's, we've learned from Adam and Eve, consequences is not enough prevention for us, right? For Adam and Eve, God said, you will surely die. Now, what other kind of consequence do we need to keep us from doing something, right? Adam was told directly, you will die. And yet he took of it. And we all know that there's things that we can, we can do that we know there's going to be consequences. And yet for some reason, we can't help it. But we do it. We take the risk. We take the chance. That's sort of the problem with addictions, right? Addictions lead us to do things that we know is unhealthy. We know it's dangerous. We know it's wrong. And yet we desire it. We can't help it. And so that's what, for us, right, some people call it sinful nature, right? The knowledge of good and evil is that we cannot prevent ourselves fully from not doing what is displeasing to God. Right? We can't help ourselves. Sin has to be accounted for. Even if we say, okay, God, forgive me. How long does it take for us to do something else, right? 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Who can last a minute maybe, Right? That's the dangers of it, the sinful nature in that it always has to be accounted for because our willful pride, our desire to do what is displeasing to God. The only exception to this is Jesus. He took on human flesh. He knew good and evil. He was tempted, right? Yet he was without sin. The only one who was able to do that, take on human flesh, to know good and evil, to be tempted, and yet 
remain sinless. We learn more about God in chapter 3, right? We learned in the first two chapters, he's the creator, he's the designer. He creates with purpose and attention. He is master over creation. He provides for his creation. But we also learn in chapter 3 that God is merciful and God is forgiving. He's merciful and he's forgiving. Now, if you read this story for the first time, right, you read chapter 3 for the first time, you learn what Adam and Eve did. They disobeyed God. And if you read the consequences, and we read from here, perhaps you would read it and you would think, wait, is that it? Is that all that's happened to Adam and Eve? God said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And we read in the last, last uh, Sunday about what would happen to them. Right? If you were to summarize the consequences of Adam and Eve, yes, they became mortal. But if you summarize the consequences, their life will be harder and more painful. They will experience pain and hardship. But perhaps you read it for the first time, you would think, wait, is that all God did? Why didn't God just drop them dead like that? Right? Maybe you've said that to somebody, someone did something to you, and you, what do you say? No, drop dead. You don't have to raise your hands if you said that before to somebody. Maybe you had someone say that to you. Right? Drop dead. Go to hell. Whatever it may be. See, we would probably react in similar ways. You know what? That's it. You did this to me, you're done. It's over. Adam and Eve, you're condemned forever. But we don't see that, do we? There's no statement of damning condemnation with Adam and Eve. Something that maybe perhaps we would expect. They didn't drop dead in the moment at the moment, at the time. But what we see is God showed mercy. Even banishing them from the garden was merciful. Because apparently, if they would have eaten of the tree of life, stayed in the garden, eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever. But we would assume that would mean they would live forever in disobedience. So God said no. Banish them from the garden. There's mercy there. But what did we also see? Adam and Eve also tried to cover their shame by covering their nakedness with leaves, right? They tried to makeshift, put some clothes on to cover their shame. But that would not suffice. That would not be enough. And certainly that would not be enough if they're banished from the garden. They have to live in the elements and everything, you know, wherever they had to go. You know, a skirt full of leaves or whatever was probably not going to be enough covering, right? I don't advise you to try that out, right? So what does God do? God covers them, right? And we saw before about shame and guilt, how we respond to shame and guilt. We often find ways to try to deal with our shame and guilt. We run and hide. We try to cover it up. Some people try to justify their shame and guilt. They try to frame it as it's right. Well, what I want to do is right. Right? I shouldn't have to feel guilty, so they're going to try to make it look like what they did was the right thing to do. So we try to normalize it, and sometimes today people try to celebrate what they should feel ashamed and guilty for. But God in his mercy provided sufficient covering, right? 
By covering their shame, God foreshadows his forgiveness. Think about that. What God does here for Adam and Eve foreshadows his plan of salvation. This seems to me the first intimation of a sacrifice is here when God covers Adam and Eve's shame with the skin of an animal. Right? This seems to be the first intimation of sacrifice. When you look at this picture, it's really amazing. It's a beautiful picture. We started off that eternal life is made available from the beginning when we see the presence of the tree of life. And God declared that death is the consequence for sin. We see that death is required for the covering of sin as God made covering from an animal skin. What do we see with Jesus? Jesus' death becomes the sacrifice for sin. And then we put our faith in Christ and what he did for us. What, is it, what happens? Our old self dies with Christ. When we have baptism out there, we're not just trying washing them. It's not like as if they didn't shower in the morning we're trying to scrub them clean. That's not what baptism is. What it represents is when you go in the water, it's like going in the grave and you're being brought up to new life. So when we put our faith in Christ, we believe that Jesus, our sin was nailed to the cross, was buried, it's dead, and we're made alive so that eternal life is given to us through what? Christ's resurrection. So what Jesus did for us on the cross and resurrecting from the grave, he did what we could not. We could not do it on ourselves. We can't be good enough by ourselves. We can't do enough. We can't be perfect enough. We needed Christ's sacrifice for us. So Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat from the tree of life after they disobeyed. However, a future tree of life will bring life to all who believe, right? That cross, the cross that Jesus Christ pays the sin, pays the price for sin for. And that empty tomb gives us life. So you think about what will life be like going forward. Adam and Eve were not completely cut off from God. In fact, we see evidence that they were not completely cut off from, from a relationship with God. We see that in the next chapter. We see that God showed them mercy, but he did not spare consequences. That's important. When we think about life going forward, we think about mistakes and things that we wish we never would have done, that there is forgiveness and there is mercy from God. But we can't be surprised when we experience the consequences of our actions. God showed them mercy, but he also showed them there's going to be consequences. And if you've lived long enough, you recognize there's truth to this, right? If we've lived long enough, we recognize there are some things that, man, we are still facing the consequences for. We are still experiencing those things. And sometimes, maybe God will answer prayer and they, they won't be as evident. Sometimes there's just things that we will live with. It's amazing how the enemy tries to ruin life, doesn't he? Have you noticed that in your life? The enemy wants to ruin your life. He wants you to dwell on that shame and guilt. 
He wants you to dwell on those things. But God wants to preserve your life. He showed Adam and Eve mercy. The enemy uses culture to influence our thinking so much. And he wants, us to, he wants to distort our understanding of God. How many of us feel like, you know, there's a lot of things that I know God can forgive this person, he forgives this person, but he's not going to forgive me. He can't forgive me. He can't restore me. He's not going to show me mercy. But that's the enemy. That's the enemy's lies. Sometimes we think, man, we're just, oh, I'm I'm stuck in this, and life is never going to get better. So we stay in that moment. We don't realize, look, God says, look, I'll show you forgiveness and mercy. Now let's walk going forward. There will be consequences. Life will get harder, right? That was the message to Adam and Eve. Now that you disobeyed, life is going to be harder and painful. And of course, if we've lived long enough, can we all say amen to that? When we are disobedient to God, life is harder and more painful. It's just true. It happens. At some point in time, we'll reap the consequences of it. But what are we to marinate? What do we think? I haven't used this term marinate in a while. Right? What are we to think about? And I mentioned uh, many messages ago, there's four areas of our mind that needs correcting. If we're going to live life going forward, right, how can we, how, what areas do our mind, what needs to change in our mindset and our understanding of things? I mentioned the first thing. We need to be able to confront sin, Right? This is review. Out of God's kindness, he convicts us. He reminds us of the things that we did wrong, and he says, you need to, be, you need to confront it. You need to identify and recognize what you're doing is wrong. Why is that merciful? Why is that kind? So God says, look, you don't stay there. You don't stay in that guilt. You don't stay in that shame. Let me show you mercy. Let me show you forgiveness. But see, the world wants you to say, or wants to tell you, you know what? Celebrate it. Accept it. Embrace it. Do whatever you want. Whatever gives you pleasure. That's the world's message. If you do, you will face the consequences and experience the consequences of your actions. But the second thing is contentment. Contentment. I mentioned before in that message, is God's love enough for me? If, is, is what God gives me enough for me? Or am I always discontent? Am I always looking for what I do not have? I'm always looking at somebody else and I say, man, I wish I was like that person. I wish I had what they have. I wish I had their life. I wish I was more like that. Why, they, why can't they be this way? Why can't they have what I have and me have what they have? We get so discontent. So what do we do with discontent? We pursue pleasures. We're in a constant pursuit of trying to find what is going to satisfy us. Sometimes we need to learn, you know, God, help me to be content with with what you bless me with. 
And this doesn't mean we can't have ambitions and dreams either. This doesn't mean we can't have desires. We can't have goals. We can't want to achieve certain things. We just have to make sure that that does not represent our purpose, our identity, and our happiness. They don't become our gods to worship. We say, God, this is what I desire. I I hope for this. May you shape me, and I trust that you will bless me, and you will redirect me if I need to be redirected. The third area is we need to change our focus. God asks us to do what we make very difficult for ourselves, and that is to be selfless, to not be self-centered. And in our culture, it is hard not to be self-centered, right? Everything is centered around us. All our apps, all everything is catered to what we desire, who we are, so that we, by a touch of our hands, can have whatever we want, how we want it. The world wants us to feel like we are the center of our universe. But God says, look, we need to change your focus. Change your focus away from always being self-centered. And what do we need to do? Center it on our Lord. Center on our Lord. You see, when we expect everything to meet our needs according to our timetable, the more self-centered we are, right, the more self-centered we are, the more off-centered we will find ourselves. The more self-centered we are, the more off-centered we will find ourselves. We will be finding ourselves drifting and chasing after anything that will give us pleasure and desire. God says, look, center on me, desire to honor me, and let me honor you. Can you trust me that, okay, I know your desires, I know your hearts, I know you want your ambitions and all those things you want. If you can center on me, trust me with your life, trust me that I can bless you in a way that will go beyond what your expectations are. Beyond your hopes. Share some verses with this Colossians 1.10. Paul says, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He continues in chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If we can have such a desire to say, God, in what we do and what we say in our life, may we desire to honor you. We're not going to be perfect, but Lord, may that be my heart's desire to honor you with my desires, my ambitions my hopes, my dreams, what I want, you know, if I'm looking for a husband or if I'm looking for a wife, if I want kids, I don't want to have kids, I want a pet, I want to have, go to this college or this school, this job, whatever it is, whatever those desires may be in your life, say, God, I want to honor you. May you mold and shape my desires and help me to know if like, I just need to make this change. Change course. Of course, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and do not lean on your own understanding. In what all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. I know we've all done things that we wish we could have done differently. And we wish we could have changed course of things. And some people may still be riddled with guilt or shame or whatever it may be. And a lot of times we try to deal with that ourselves and hopefully you learn now that, you know what, I can't do it on my own. I can't get rid of this guilt and shame on my own. Praise God. He is a God of mercy and forgiveness. And he walks with us going forward. He said, okay, here are some consequences that may happen in your life, but can I walk with you going forward? And of course, when I say, can I walk with you, it's kind of like a rhetorical question, right? God, of course. But we need to desire that in our life too, don't we? Say, God, may you be a God in my life that if I did something that I shouldn't have done, that Lord, you're gonna, I'm gonna receive your mercy and your forgiveness and go forward. As we continue in our study, and I'll close with this again, I wanna remind us, for you young people, when I say young people, I'm not trying to sound old. I know I sound old when I say that, right? But I've gotten old enough that I can refer to young people as young people now, right? Some of you may say I'm a young person. I pray that you will have a desire to say, you know what, God? May you direct my course and shape my desires and help me to be strong when temptation comes to try to conform like everybody else. Help me to heed your warning that's telling me to not do it. Don't give in. And that's not just a warning to young people. That's for us as adults. Adults are just older kids sometimes, right? Some of you, you look at your parents and you say, yeah, that's true. That is true. Adults are just older kids and we face the same problems. We just try to cover it up with maturity, quote-unquote maturity, right? If you're a parent... If you're a couple, I know I, I focused on marriage a lot and with this. We have a big responsibility to be an example to the generation, to be an example to those around us, and help people see God in our story, in our life. People need to see God in our life. That's why people are turning away from the church, because they don't see God in their life. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your forgiveness, and that, Lord, there is life going forward even after our sin, even when we've done things we feel like we can never correct. Things can never be the same. And in some ways and sometimes, that's true, life may not be the same. 
But Lord, you can make it better. You could redeem those mistakes. You could redeem those things that we wish we would have done differently. That in your sovereign hand, Lord God, you could bring purpose into something that we wish never happened. But Lord, your presence, your mercy, and your forgiveness can go with us forward. Thank you, Lord God, for your kindness and your goodness. May we walk with you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.